Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that could finish fourth in the AL Central. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we don't need seven other players, we'll do it on our own. Doesn't take much, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's time to preview the AL Central, but... While during these division previews, we have in general been skipping over some news and notes. We still haven't talked about Jerks and Provar signing with the Rockies. We'll save that for the NL West preview. Um, we do have a bit of injury news that we would like to acknowledge because it is one that, that hits pretty close to home and is one that I think is a pretty gigantic bummer for neutral fans and friends of this player alike. Uh, Jake Reese Hoskins has torn his left ACL and will in all likelihood be out for the entirety of the 2023 season, barring a Kyle Schwarber World Series-esque comeback, which I guess we shouldn't count out for a team that literally has Kyle Schwarber and also is a Phillies and could be in the World Series again. But um, yeah, I mean, this is as, as, as far as spring training injuries go, this is about an 80 on the bummer uh, scale for us. Why did he do that, though? Yeah, what was he thinking? What was he trying to like uh, play a baseball game? What was he doing? Yeah, it was a huge bummer. Weird ground ball to first. He backtracked on it, kind of turned weird on his left leg, planted odd, and that was it. Torn left ACL, and it was such a good vibe spring for the Phillies. Everything had been going good, except for, I guess, Andrew Painter's arm. But this was particularly kind of a sick joke because this was the first spring training game in which the entire starting infield was in the lineup together with Hoskins, Stott, Turner, and Bohm around the diamond. And it lasted like an inning before Reese was carted off the field. Now, there are a lot of different ways we can break this apart. The, the biggest thing is this sucks for Reese, Right. This was his last season in Philly under his current contract, likely out the door after the year. You would imagine if the Phillies wanted to keep him around, they would have extended him already, especially when you look at all the money that they've tossed around in free agency. It's not like the coin isn't there. And so if this is how Reese Hoskins' tenure in Philly ends, that is such a freaking bummer. Remember, this franchise was irrelevant and sad and admired in mediocrity and irrelevance from like 2013 
to 2017, they went from like top five in attendance to bottom five in attendance. No one cared. Reese comes up in the late summer of 2017 and electrifies the fan base. Reese Lightning was a legit absurd thing that happened. He hit, I think it was 12 homers in his first 24 games or something outrageous like that. And then he stuck it out, made it through the darkness. And last October was a just reward for a player who is legitimately beloved in that city and in that town. And now as the longest tenured Phillies hitter, he will be forced to watch this season from the bench. Yeah. And though he certainly has had his struggles, I mean, not really on offense. Like he has been so stellar. Sure. Maybe he didn't recapture the 50 game magic of his, his call up in 17, but at no point, like he was a comfortably above average hitter the whole time, a lock for 60 extra base hits every season, which is just not something you can say about like, yes, sure. The first base defense, sure. He's striking out a good bit, but like this kind of power production reliably and durable, right? I know he had some injuries in, in 2021, but just played 156 games in 2022, was over 150 games in 18 and 19. Like this was something you could pencil in. And those are the injuries that are just the of, of anything that is just so hard to really wrap your mind around because they are obviously coming when you, when you least expect it to the players you least expect it. So, um, but for him personally, yeah, it is, it is terrible. Of course, we'll figure out what it means for the Phillies as, as the season goes on. Um, but, uh, but no, man, it's, it's really shitty. And I, I really hope that, that he can, can come back stronger. I mean, he's got Boris and, and Boris just got, you know, Michael Conforto, a nice contract after he didn't play a whole season. So I would, I think he will still, you know, be able to get a, a paid decently well, but it is very unfortunate timing for him uh, personally for his career. There will be no congrats on the Homer dudes for a long, long time. All right, let's switch gears here and preview the American League Central. The consensus blahest division in baseball, maybe that reward belongs to the Ameri- uh, the NL Central, but the AL Central is doing a pretty good job to track it down. Yeah, I think we have these are there are some similarities for for both of these um divisions, although I think that the top of the AL Central is more interesting, I would say, than the NL Central, where the Cardinals have been kind of cruising for quite some time now. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh, big picture, this division has been the one that you reference when it's like, oh, well, can my team at least beat up on the AL Central teams? <laughs> or it's like the team that wins it, if it's the Twins, or we've had the White Sox, and, and of course, Cleveland, it's like, oh, but like, they would, you know, win 85 games in the AL East. You know, like this is the one that these this is the division that we are constantly mocking, I feel like. I thought about making T-shirts that said uh, Baltimore Orioles 2022 American League Central Champions, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's it's things like that that um, that is that that's really what this, uh, you know, division kind of gives off. And, and there's some there's some reason that there's different levels of incompetence there's different levels of thriftiness there's different levels of like it's a, it's a, some different flavors here um and none of them can be considered powerhouses uh except cleveland in some respects but of course as we mentioned the thriftiness there certainly limits them but jake we must begin at the bottom as we have with all of these divisions anything else big picture before we talk about the excitement that is the 2023 tigers 
I just want to get into the Tigers. I couldn't sleep last night just thinking about it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. The Detroit Tigers projected by the Fangraphs playoff odds to win 70 games. Whoa, that would be a nice little improvement over the 66 they won a year ago, which was good enough for fourth right ahead of the Royals, who we'll talk about shortly. Um, they were just bad. Their offense was horrific. They had no one, uh, not a single one of their regular hitters had an OPS plus over 100. Not a single one. Eric Haas was the only one with over even 200 plate appearances with an above average OPS plus. Um, offense was pitiful. The pitching staff was injured or missing in the case of Eduardo Rodriguez. And uh, because of that, they were just awful and fairly unwatchable. Uh, that's what happened in 2022. And the biggest bummer is that they had kind of gone for it the offseason before. They did the pedal to the metal, signing Eduardo Rodriguez, signing Javi Baez, tossing some cash around, and it completely failed. This yeah. past winter, they took a more measured approach, uh, which is probably thanks to their new general manager, Scott Harris, who we will talk about a little bit later. On the way in is Nick Maton and Matt Vierling, who they acquired in a deal for Gregory Soto and I guess Kobe Clements. Uh, Matthew Boyd returns on a free agent deal that they spent quite a bit of money on and uh, ripped pitcher slash sometimes hitter Michael Lorenzen. That's really it. Heimer Candelario out the door. Harold Castro, Victor Reyes gone. Those guys had been there from quite, for quite some time, but never really got going. Let's go through their starting lineup. Behind the dish, it is Jake Rogers, Spencer Torkelson will be at first. I'd say Eric Haas will spend some time. They'll probably split that pretty evenly. Haas is the offensive side of that platoon. Rogers more of a defensive catcher. Torkelson at first, second base will be Jonathan Scope. Javi Baez will try and rebound at shortstop. Third base looks like Nick Maton and Zach Short maybe a little bit, and who knows. Outfield, Ryling Green, one of their most promising young players in center field. Austin Meadows and Akil Badu in the corners with Kerry Carpenter, who's a pretty interesting bat, at the DH spot, who will probably split some time with Miguel Cabrera. Matt Veerling figures to get a good amount of run in the outfield as well. The rotation to start the year will be Eduardo Rodriguez, Matthew Board, Michael Lorenzen, Matt Manning, and Spencer Turnbull. Casey Mize and Tark Skubal, two important arms, will start the year on the IL. And the bullpen, I'd say, is potentially... The most yikes part of this team, the the yikesiest part of a yikes team, Alex Lang, Jason Foley, and Jose Cisnero make up the the back end shutdowners for the Detroit Tigers. But Jordan, let's skip ahead now to our three big questions. Yes, uh, our three. Now we're gonna kind of kind of compare Tigers and Royals a little more directly than we have in some of these previous team previews. But we'll start with the focus on Detroit. Um, I mean, it's Baez and Erod, right? I think <laughs> I was thinking about how when the Tigers, so much of the rumor going into that offseason was Correa and how Correa, you know, came into 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 Minnesota and like immediately, I know Minnesota season didn't go well, but like he established kind of a credibility of winning and an expectation of winning that, you know, didn't, it was going well for a few months and we know why twin season went off the rails. We'll talk about that. But with Baez, not that Baez has not been a winner and has a good reputation in that sense, but it just, like, Baez on a team that starts going sideways, it just, it gets ugly in a hurry. Now, his defense and base running were still really good, 
But if this offense isn't going to bounce back at all, I mean, you're stuck with a player that is not anywhere close to a franchise player, not anywhere close to someone that is bringing you back to some sort of uh, postseason relevance. I mean, he had a 278 on base percentage last season, only hit 17 homers, which I know in that ballpark, that's another, we should talk about the fences moving in, but uh, in that ballpark was going to come down, but that's just not nearly good enough uh, for someone that you're, you know, gave that kind of contract. I am not a hitting coach, but here's what I would do. When I was a kid, Jordan, I once had someone say something to me along the lines of every third thought that pops into your head, don't say it. Doesn't matter if you think it's relevant or not. You talk too much. Every third thought, just eat it. Just hold it in there. That's what Javi Baez needs to do with his swing. Mm. Every third pitch that you want to swing at randomly, just don't swing. Just don't swing the bat. And I think that would go a long, long way. Speaking of a long, long way, that is how far you needed to hit a baseball to get it out of Comerica Park. But they are moving the fences in. Hallelujah, Jordan. Yes. And I think it will not just help Javi Baez, but a lot of hitters on this team. And yeah, I mean, again, as as is often the case with any, you know, dimension change, like who knows? Like sometimes with Baltimore, it is it goes exactly as you expected. And sometimes you don't even notice. Um, and so this is one where I think we probably will notice a little bit, not that too many people will be locked in on the Tigers to really figure it out, but I think, uh, I, I'm curious, right? I, park factors like this fascinate me, so we will see the degree to which it makes a difference. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, we should mention too, I think the thing with him, I mean, he was dealing with some personal issues last year. It was not an injury, but he was not good when he was pitching. But it's it, the thing is, is that he has been you know, pretty durable otherwise, I would say. And so, you know, he you know, made 30, 32 starts or 31 starts in 2021. People really liked that contract when they signed that one. The bias one people were a little bit more skeptical of. But the, the ERAV one, it was like, all right, like, you know, like this is the kind of trying to establish some level of competency in the middle of the rotation. He's got it. I mean, I honestly would – I oh, man. I, which bounce back would you bet on more here between Erod and, and, and Baez? Erod. Yeah. Okay. Because you're looking at me like you don't believe in Erod at all either. But no, okay. So no, you, I'm looking at you like I don't believe in Javi Baez at all. Like okay, I okay. just don't see a world in which he's incentivized to change his approach mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Whereas by yeah, whereas Erod, like he should be – he could totally be a fine three-starter. Is that enough to get the Tigers to playoffs? No. But – um, they they he they need him to be decent because man they were giving innings to some bad pitchers last year, uh, so yes. Speaking of pitchers, Mize Manning and Scooble, that is a huge key for this team. The pitching development in Detroit was not exactly great under the old regime. None of these three pitchers have had su- sustained success in the big leagues. Mize may be the or sorry uh, Scooble may be the one exception. He had a nice little run there. But Jordan, where are you at with these three arms? Do you have faith that any of them could figure it out? Um, yes, but again, we're starting the season with both Mize and Scooble out already, right? Mize we knew because he had TJ last year. Scooble was one where we thought maybe it was a little bit more of a chance that he'd be ready for close to the start of the season. That is not the case. And then Manning is the one who <laughs> he has been he had some runs last year where it was like, oh, he's putting it together. But I am not particularly bullish on him either. 
I really do think Mines can be a good pitcher, but his durability, like I could see him being like, he could have been their Brady Singer if he could stay healthy, but his medical had always been really, really shaky, even beyond before the elbow. So that's one where I'm not, you know, necessarily smashing the over on the innings for him. Um, but yeah, I, I still think talent wise, I like both Mines and Scooble. Now, the important thing to know is that these guys need to hit because the Tigers farm system is now not very good. All of these guys have matriculated to the big leagues. And so in order for this team to compete, they need that group to perform. Speaking of young players, they need to perform. Let's talk about their barometer bonds. The player that we think whose performance will most exemplify how this team does in 2023. Spencer Torkelson, top first base prospect, came up in 2022 and sucked. Just straight up sucked. He was billed as an advanced mature hitter. He walked a good amount. He didn't strike out a crazy amount, but he just didn't hit the baseball. And you got to do that if you want to play in the big leagues. Yeah, and you know, he he was pretty awesome in the minor leagues in 21. It's not like they zoomed him to the big leagues that quickly. Um, and it just did not take at all. And I know there's some optimistic signs this year. He still hits the ball pretty hard. He's 22. Uh, but this one just cannot be a miss. We're not really talking about Riley Green because I think we both believe in Riley Green. I think what he showed last year, sure, was a league average batting line. I think Riley Green is going to be awesome. I think Riley Green could just be their all-star this year, honestly. Like, I'm not worried about him. But so much of this Tigers rebuild has been about the two together. That if you have, oh my God, we have these two top 10 prospects, right? I know this with the Mariners. Oh, you have Kelnick and Julio. Okay, well, you have Julio. That's awesome. And Kelnick, we'll see. Same kind of thing here. And Green is obviously not from anywhere close to what Julio is. But the point is, is I believe in Green. Torque, <laughs> so much hinges on this, not just for the season, but for them moving forward. He is the obvious barometer. Bonds and also appropriate as someone who broke Barry Bonds' uh, freshman ASU home run record uh, in college. Uh, 68 and a half over under Jake Mintz. Uh, under. Thank you. Yeah, under. I mean, 66 last year, but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm really not feeling like. Brother, hey, listen. Got that don't. much better. Don't think too hard about it. Yeah, under. under. Let's move under. on to a similar ball club, the Kansas City Royals, who are projected for two more wins than the Tigers this year. Congratulations to the city of Kansas City. What happened last year? Very similar to the Tigers, although they were significantly more watchable than Detroit. They did finish with one fewer win. Bobby Witt had his rookie season in the big leagues. Friend of the show, Vinny Pasquantino debuted and was outstanding. Brady Singer kind of put some things together. And yet they still finished last in the worst division in baseball. This winter, they did a couple interesting, bizarre things. Michael A. Taylor traded away in division in Minnesota. Adalberto Mondesi sent to Boston. They brought in Fran Mil Reyes on a flyer. They asked Jordan Lyles if he could work the magic. He worked at Baltimore. Ryan Yarbrough lunch. is now in this rotation. And bizarrely, Aroldis Chapman is going to live in Kansas City. I guess he lived in Cincinnati before. But it's just bizarre after all those years of him being like the Yankees closer. He's just going to be on the Royals. Let's run through the starting lineup really quickly. Behind the dish, the guy you can rely on, Salvador Perez, in his age 33 season, keeps on truck trucking. One of the most durable guys in baseball. Great power bat. Just a beloved figure in Kansas City. Vinny will be at first base. Second base looks to be a combination of Michael Massey and Nicky Lopez, I would imagine. 
Shortstop will be Bobby Witt Jr. We'll talk about his defense a bit later. Hunter Dozier, the most boring player in the world of baseball, will start at third. I have zero to say about him. In the outfield, it'll be kind of a hodgepodge. Currently projected to be Edward Olivares in left, Kyle Isbell in center, and Nate Eaton in right. Look no further if you want to know why this team is underwhelming. And MJ Melendez at DH, although he'll probably get a ton of run in the outfield and maybe a little bit of time behind the dish. Starting rotation, Zach Granke back for year number 837, I guess, atop this rotation. The aforementioned Jordan Lyles and Brady Singer, Ryan Yarbrough in his first year in Kansas City, and Brad Keller helming up the five-starter spot. I He's kind of a decent rotation. Yeah, he kind of right? took a step back last year. Did he start opening day last year? Am I crazy? I feel like he started an opening day for the Royals in the last uh, two seasons. He will go down in franchise history for that for sure. And then sort of an underrated bullpen, if we're being honest, between Scott Barlow, Dylan Coleman, and Amir Garrett. Josh Stalmont throws crazy hard. Carlos Hernandez throws crazy hard. Aroldis Chapman used to throw crazy hard. He still he still throws crazy hard, man. Not the craziest hard, but he still throws pretty hard. So it is that is not a fun bullpen to face. I don't know how good it really is <laughs> besides Barlow and Coleman, but they do throw hard. Let's get into our three questions, Jordan. One of them is pretty important, and that is just simply we can breeze through it, is what are these this young group of hitters? Can they sustain what they did last year in the case of Pasquantino? Can they improve Bobby Witt, MJ Melendez? Can they show up and be big leaguers in the case of Michael Massey and Aid Eaton? That's going to play a huge role in what this team is moving forward. Yeah, and I think, again, I think we can we feel confident in kind of penciling in Vinny and Melendez as like safe above average hitters. But if any of that next group, that Isbell, that Eaton, like if those guys, Massey, if those guys can actually become good major leaguers, like now we start to actually have some sort of core here. Prado, right? We should mention him too. Uh, we'll see how much playing time he gets. So yeah, that, that those are even more important than Vinny, I think. And we'll get to Witt here in a second. Is this the end for Zach Granke? We thought last year was the end. And then he said, I'm going to run it back. I like it here. I saw him last year in the clubhouse in a enormous T-shirt that went down to his kneecaps. And he just seemed to be having a great old time as a tiny grandpa in Kansas City. I think he's going to keep just doing this on one-year deals until he's bored. With the Royals. I mean, that's the thing. It seemed like this is where he wanted to finish. And he's just, they're not going to tell him to go away. I mean, he had the lowest strikeout rate of all starting pitchers in baseball last year. 3680 RA. Sure. He knows what he's doing. So I have no no doubt uh, that he could just kind of keep on rolling as long as he wants. Essentially, he is now Kansas City's Joey Votto in that sense. The last guy I want to talk about is Brian Sweeney. Who is Brian Sweeney? And what type of impact will Brian Sweeney make? Well, Sweeney is the new Royals pitching coach. And I know that this is a niche topic talking about the Kansas City Royals pitching coach. I get that. I'm aware. But the Royals young pitchers have underwhelmed, besides Brady Singer, over the last couple of years. Guys like Dan, Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich and Jackson Coar, Carlos Hernandez. Those guys are very crucial to this team getting out of its rebuild. And outgoing pitching coach Cal Eldred, I tweeted something about Royals pitching, and it felt like Eldred was public enemy number one for Royals fans, that 
the pitching development in this organization was so bad that fans were thinking about it on the regular. And Brian Sweeney comes over from Cleveland and their magic pitching development system. I believe he was on their big league pitching staff for the last half decade. What type of impact can he make? Can he help these youngins develop into legitimate starting pitchers? It's so important for the health and future of this franchise. Yeah, because there was a it wasn't that long ago where it was like, oh my God, look at all these guys they just drafted that they've made it to the big leagues. It's Bubich and John Heasley has made it up there and Kowar and Lynch, and then like it's only been Brady Singer. Brady Singer is the only one who has made huge strides toward being a good major league pitcher. And they were all first round picks, basically. That's the thing. Singer was 18th overall. And then if you take a look at some of these other guys, Bubich, first round, 40th overall. You have Jonathan uh, Heasley was a 13th rounder, but Coar first round, 33rd overall. Alec Marsh, second round, 70th overall. They were spending real big picks on a lot of these arms. Daniel Lynch, first round, 34th overall. Not great. Hazel Lacey. All right. We move on to uh, our barometer bonds for the Kansas City Royals. And that is Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr., Easily one of the most fascinating players to me uh, coming into this season. This is someone where it's like, oh my God, Bobby Wood Jr., what a disappointment. He was only worth 0.9 war. He was also like one of the 150 players ever to have 20 home runs and 30 steals, let alone as a 22-year-old rookie. I think he was, I think, one of the five youngest players to ever do that. Youngest shortstop since A-Rod. Youngest shortstop since A-Rod. And so the counting stats are insane. He didn't actually strike out that much. He, I think he had like a league average striker rate. Like that's what you would have thought that the Bob the, that was going to kind of undo Bobby Witt's offensive season. And it didn't. And yet he still had no OBP under 300. His defensive shortstop was horrific. And that's what killed his war was his defensive metrics were terrible. But like you can't have this good of a season offensively. You can't produce this much for me to think that you're bad. Like to think that this was a disappointment. And the fact that the Royals were bad and you look at the war and you're like, oh, what a butt. Like, no, dude, this guy, the this, you know, there is no ceiling on this guy. Like he, sure, the overall value was nowhere close to the likes of Adley and Julio and his team was terrible, right? And because Adley and Julio were defensive stars the way that Bobby Witt was not. But even if we move this guy to third, he's one of the fastest players in the league. He clearly has plus power, if not more than that. And I just think we're what we're going to see is people compared him to Trevor Story. I think he can just be better, a better version of Trevor Story. Honestly, I really do. The defense needs to develop, though. What I I do think it's important to mention Adley and Julio because the three of them came up together, and they were this consensus top three prospect group in baseball. And the other two were just so incredible to me. It, it think I think of like a concerned parent on parent teacher conference day saying. My child is behind all of these other third graders are, you know, reading graphic novels or writing code or speaking eight languages. My child is behind. Your child is not behind. The other children are ahead. Okay. Bobby Witt Jr. was a 22-year-old rookie who went 2030. That's great. That's awesome, right? He Not all players come up immediately at our superstars. We have been spoiled by Tatis, Acuna, Guerrero, this group of youngsters who get to the big leagues and are amazing right away. That doesn't usually happen. That's an outlier. That's rare. 
Bobby Witt is right on track. If he can fix some of the defensive issues, if he can walk a little bit more, this guy is a legitimate all-star, and I am buying his stock. Over-under on the Royals, just like the over-under on the Tigers is 68.5. I will take the over on this one. I will not. I think this is still one that I am concerned about, mostly from a pitching standpoint. I am totally with you on, on Brian Sweeney. It cannot possibly get any worse than what it was in terms of what they were churning out. But I would still pick this. Mm, yeah, no. I think the Tigers are worse than the Royals, but I'm still taking under on both of them. <laughs> Let's compare these two teams quickly because they are in very similar spots. They are both in the American League Central, as you know. They both have new leadership. Scott Harris for the Tigers, J.J. Piccolo for the Royals. They have both had top farm systems in the last couple of years. Players have come up, mostly in the pitching side, and underwhelmed. They have a similar barometer bonds in a young, talented, hotshot prospect who is a little bit underwhelming in some respects in their first season. Jordan Schusterman, Tigers or Royals next five years, who do you have more faith in? I have more faith in Scott Harris considering his track record compared to J.J. Piccolo, who sure is maybe different than Dayton Moore, but still is coming from the same group. But I like the Royals roster a lot more, and I think I would pick the Royals. I think the Royals also are just going to... Now, listen, Detroit also, you would bet on spending more at some point whenever they can get... They already showed it. They just did it last year, and they sucked anyway. So I like the Kansas City roster more. I think I would still pick the Royals to make the postseason before the Tigers. Maybe that's insane. I agree with you. However, I think Scott Harris will be good enough at his job that he can turn over the roster quick enough that it improves enough that in the next five years, they are better than the Royals. I have seen the Royals run on this treadmill of shame before. Let's move forward to our next team, the Chicago White Sox. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. It is time to talk about the Chicago White Sox. One of the largest disasters in human history. I mean, the 2022 MLB season. What happened last year? Well, Tony La Russa fell asleep, as did the entire team. They entered the year as a World Series contender, and they exited the year, I believe, at or just under 500. At 500, exactly. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of the funny part about this is that they still finished second and at 500, and it was the worst second-place 500 season you could possibly imagine. Uh, this team had so much like high upside ambitions when you looked at this roster going into last year. And for a variety of a lot of terrible injury luck, and as we know, Mr. LaRussa having something to do with the lack of inspiration, this team just 
could not put it together. 81 and 81, as we said. What did they do this winter? It was kind of an interesting winter uh, for the White Sox of Chicago. They brought in Mike Clevenger. That was not a good idea. That'll before, fix. That'll fix it. <laughs> that'll fix it. That was not a good idea before we knew uh, what was going on behind the scenes with Mike Clevenger. Now we know he will still be around, and we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, but the bigger one was Andrew Benintendi, which in some ways made a ton of sense and also kind of came out of nowhere. I think also one of their largest free agent signings of all time, if not the uh, biggest one. Uh, so Andrew Benintendi comes in to play a respectable left field, which is not something they've had <laughs> at the White Sox for quite some time. No longer on the White Sox. Jose Abreu, ever heard of him? Uh, Elvis Andrews, uh, he's actually back on the team. So uh, he just kidding. He left and he was like, oh, no one still wants me. Okay, I'll go back to the White Sox. Johnny Cueto, one of the few good things that went well for them last year. He is on the Marlins now. Danny Mendick is on the Mets. AJ Pollock is on the Mariners. And Adam Engel is on the Padres. Um, so that is the ins and outs of the winter. Let's go through their projected team. Behind the dish, Yasmani Grandal, part of the disaster last year. Just did not go well, but he will still be their catcher this year. First base will not be Jose Abreu. It will be Andrew Vaughn, who will be more than thrilled to not be playing in the outfield anymore. Second base, the aforementioned Elvis Andrews, who has returned. Tim Anderson, of course, at shortstop, finally back healthy. He is awesome. Third base, Yohan Moncada. Um, who was terrible last season, coming off a run with Team Cuba in the WBC. Left field, as we said, Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert in center. Right field, perhaps Oscar Colas trying to make the team out of camp, maybe their next Cuban star. Um, the rotation led by Dylan Cease, what a season for him. Lance Lynn uh, still back there, Team USA's ace. Lucas Giolito in the three-hole Mike Clevenger apparently will indeed be in this rotation to start the season. Michael Kopech as well. Their bullpen led, of course, in the unfortunate absence of Liam Hendricks, who is dealing uh, with, uh, of course, cancer treatment. Uh, so this bullpen will look like Kendall Graveman, Aaron Bummer, Joe Kelly, Reynaldo Lopez, a quiet breakout year last year as well. Uh, Jake, you, probably should have, you probably should have mentioned Eloy Jimenez, who will be DHing Jordan. DHing. I did not say DH. That is a position, and that is a very important position for them. Thank you. Yes, I apologize. That I again. I was looking around. I was like, "Oh, Eloy Jimenez will not be playing defense." Thank oh, God. <laughs> maybe he's not going to die this year, <laughs> but uh, he will be uh, DHing, which is very important. Probably batting fourth. Okay, Jake. What are our big questions for the White Sox? Tony Larusa is gone. Pedro Griffol is the new manager. Does Griffol have a quote-unquote Rob Thompson effect in that he is not Tony La Russa? Is it that simple sometimes? Let, let me just allow this. Uh, sorry to, to jump backwards. Pedro Griffol coming over from Kansas City. By the way, Kansas City also has a new manager. Didn't even mention it. Matt Quattraro, <laughs> who replaces Mike Matheny. That may also be a check in the Royals' uh, favor there, so we can mention that quickly. Pedro Griffol, I totally agree. I mean, listen, is it... <laughs> comparing La Russa to Girardi is interesting. It makes a lot of sense in some respects. It's also very different in some others. Um, at the same time, I totally know what you mean. And I think that, yeah, that has to be one. I think we are constantly skeptical of how much of an impact a manager can have in a positive or negative way. Um, but at this point, we're just trying to get back to average. Let's get back to standard, normal, boring manager. That is exactly what this team needs. Pedro Grafol is going to show up to the ballpark every day 
and do his job to the best of his ability with effort, passion, and attention to detail, which is something and focus and staying awake. And that is something (laughs) that the White Sox have not had the last two seasons. And so you have to imagine that that is at the very least a plus in their favor. Here's what won't be happening this year. Uh, Intentionally walking someone with two strikes and a fan yelling into a crowd mic, there's two strikes, Tony. <laughs> Pedro, what are you doing? Like, that's not going to happen. Pedro's going to be just fine. All right, so Pedro Grafol, is he going to be the reason the White Sox make it back to the postseason? If they do, people will probably give him a lot of credit, which is great. But um, this team has a ton of good baseball players, and that should be the reason they return to the postseason. But one of those good baseball players that will not be there is Jose Abreu. And that is our second question. How do they replace him, not just on the field, but off the field? And maybe that is a cliche thing that doesn't sound like something we would talk about. But you are naive to think that Jose Abreu's presence off the field was not as much of a gigantic deal as it was on. And now we wonder, what does that mean? What, what does this look like? Who is in charge around here uh, besides Pedro Grafol? Um, but also, yeah, on the field is pretty freaking important because even though this season was a complete catastrophe, Jose Abreu just kept on marching on and hitting like he always has. And now we're really counting on those younger guys to not be phased by whatever the hell the team is doing and to actually perform. That is Eloy, who was good. Vaughn, who was a pretty good hitter last year. But really, Moncada and Robert, who were just not the kinds of ascended stars that we thought they were last season. Well, this is what's kind of funny to me. People saying... Okay, so the replacement for Abreu is going to be uh, Jimenez and Vaughn. Jimenez and Vaughn ha- both had over like three, like I guess Eloy was kind of hurt, but he had 330 plate appearances last year. Vaughn had 555 plate appearances. It's not a replacement if the replacement was already there. That's not who's replacing Jose, uh, Jose Abreu. The replacement for Jose Abreu are the new players coming in, and that is going to be Andrew Brenintendi. The replacement for Jose Abreu is players who underwhelmed last year and who were injured taking that step back forward, Johan Moncada and Luis Robert. And I guess Yasmani Grandal. Can those guys replace Abreu's performance? No, I do not think they can. In the clubhouse, do I think Tim Anderson can replace some of that leadership? Yeah, I certainly think he can. However, I think that on a team that is so stocked with Cuban players and Latin players having a guy like Jose Abreu around was such a big deal. And there's an aspect of that. There's an aspect of his experience in baseball, in Cuba and stateside, his experience in that team specifically that cannot be replicated and cannot be replaced. And I think they will miss it. I think this is honestly where Elvis Andrews probably does become valuable. Um, And I think on the pitching side, I know pitchers and hitters are kind of, they're not hanging out. But Lance Lynn's the dude, right? Like he's the guy kind of kind of running the show on the pitching side there. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the pitchers here. Uh, let's talk about Dylan Cease, which is our, our, our third biggest question. Because Dylan Cease, uh, first of all, he is really, really good. <laughs> and Dylan Cease is coming off a season when he won, uh, finished second in the Cy Young. But if you rewind a year after the year he had in 2021, when he struck out 226 batters, it was like, oh my God, if Dylan Cease can cut his stri- his walk rate, watch out, right? If he can cut his walk rate and up his strikeout rate, this dude is going to be amazing. Instead, his walk rate stayed the same, his strikeout rate went down, and his ERA was a, a run and a half lower. 
How is that possible? Well, he did certainly have some more Babbitt pluck, but basically he started throwing the best pitch in baseball, or one of the best pitches in baseball, which is his slider. No one could hit it. No one had it, could add any sort of hits against him, and that was enough to keep uh, the runs uh, from scoring all season long. And now I'm left with the question of, okay, well, I guess, do you want to change something? You just had an unbelievable season where you finished second in the Cy Young, or do you just kind of keep rolling with it, lead the league in walks again, and still be one of the best pitchers in the world? Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's how I feel. It is, yeah, he just threw his slider you know, 13% more than he did the year before, and it's a case of, what if I did the thing I'm really good at even more often? And it worked all the way to a second-place Cy Young finish. I'm buying a Dylan Cease in the event that he's able to cut those walks down. He's a, he's just the Cy, like he's the Cy Young. Yeah. If he does that, he's the Cy Young, right? Which is kind of crazy to say, but he has been such a fabulous pitcher. Let's move on to our barometer bonds. Our barometer, Rob, our Rob barometer. I <laughs> sure, can't do it. Sure, we, we, it's okay. We, we've already forced this this uh, this bit pretty hard, <laughs> Luis Robert. Um, he is. I mean, honestly, it's like a junior version of Byron Buxton, who we'll talk about with the Twins shortly. But like, when you see how good he can be, it's impossible not to feel like, oh well, he can single handedly sway the season, right? Uh, but last year, it was a combination of injuries. It was a combination of when he's off, <laughs> as we saw in the first few games with Cuba. It could look pretty ugly, right? He can, he sure likes to swing the baseball bat. And when you're that talented, you can get away with it. But let's also remember he's one of the best center fielders in the world too, right? This is why it is similar to Buxton. Uh, and the power is tremendous. And and yeah, but if but if he's healthy, which has been an issue, if he can get back to whatever insane war pace he was on when he was healthy in 2021, then yeah, they, they, then they could be really freaking awesome. That's pretty easy. The over-under here, Jordan, is 83 and a half, and I am going to be a hater. I am going to be a pessimist, and I am going to take the under. I am worried about this team staying healthy, as has been an issue for them in years past. I am worried about the lack of depth. Behind them, I am worried about an underwhelming farm system that can make moves in season. I am worried about Andrew Benintendi being simply fine and not a game-changing acquisition. I am worried about Yoan Moncada putting it back together. I am worried about Luis Robert not swinging and missing at every pitch thrown in his direction. I am worried about Elvis Andrews not replicating what he did down the stretch last year. I am worried okay, that Jason Grandal Grandal is cooked. <laughs> I am worried about, uh, yeah, I'm just worried right, about so everything in this lineup. Worth mentioning, Fangraphs projects him for 79 wins. Seems like you're more in that range. Um, uh, sure. Even lower, it sounds like. <laughs> even lower, perhaps. I think that is also has to do with how high you are on Minnesota and Cleveland, who we're about to talk about. Um, I definitely would pick them behind Minnesota and Cleveland, but I think 83 and a half, like again, they were so bad last year and still won 81 games. So I think I'll take the over here, but I would still have them outside of the postseason picture. Let's move on to the Minnesota twins who are projected to only win 82 games on fan graphs over under is a little bit higher, but what happened last year for the twins? Because as bad as the White Sox season was, the White Sox season felt off from the jump. Whereas the Twins were in first place as late as September. I mean, they were late first place into August comfortably. And it all came crashing down in shocking fashion, finishing 78 and 84 
which is really hard to fathom. But that is what happened with the Minnesota Twins in 2022. Over the offseason, they were rather active. They bring in Joey Gallo. They bring in Christian Vasquez. They trade for Michael A. Taylor. They trade for Kyle Farmer because they really needed a shortstop there for a second. They trade for Pablo Lopez. Luis Arise out the door. No more Dylan Bundy, Gary Sanchez, Tyler Duffy. But of course, most importantly, Carlos Correa is miraculously still on the Minnesota Twins. And that was, you know, a top whatever two, three story of the entire offseason. Correa was, but him Somehow ending up back in Minnesota is a massive deal. Just huge, huge, huge deal. Sure, maybe it isn't the spiciest outcome in some ways because people wanted to see him. Oh my God, Mets super team. Oh my God, face the Giants. But no, this is a huge deal to keep the Minnesota Twins from falling back into some Minnesota mediocrity. mediocrity. And it's his team, right? It is can very much be formed in his image and he will get to put them on his back and on his uh, surgically repaired ankle and try and carry them to October glory. Let's run through their starting lineup. Christian Vasquez behind the dish. First base looks like it'll be Joey Gallo, maybe Jose Miranda. Uh, It's kind of a bizarre setup over there at first. Maybe Alex Kirilov getting some time. At second base will be Nick Gordon. Friend of the show. Shortstop, Carlos Correa. Third base, probably Jose Miranda with Royce Lewis probably getting some run halfway through the season. In the outfield, Byron Buxton will see half the time in center field and half the time at DH as the team tries to keep him healthy. Michael A. Taylor, an offseason trade acquisition, will see the other half of the run in center. Max Kepler and Trevor Larnick seem to be featuring in the corners although they do have quite a glut of corner outfielders beyond that with Jorge Polanco uh, getting some time in the infield, Alex Kirilov maybe in a corner. It's a very crowded situation. What is not up in the air is this projected starting rotation, which we like quite a bit. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, and Kenta Maeda, who was outstanding the last time he was healthy in 2020. The bullpen has some more question marks. However, They are led by one of the best relievers in the world that you've never thought about in Joan Duran. Jorge Lopez will be helping him out, as will be Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, and the home run vending machine, Emilio Pagan. All right, let's get to our biggest questions. Um, Let's start with the, you mentioned the, the glut of outfielders. This team has so many corner guys with prospect pedigree or major league pedigree None of whom are, you know, knocking your socks off, but none of whom stink, at least as far as we know. I'm talking about Kepler, who had a ton of trade rumors. I'm talking about Gallo, who they signed, even if he's going to play some first base. Kirilov, Larnick. What does this, how how are we, I mean, listen, depth is good to have, but like there was a reason there were trade rumors around Kepler and he's still there. So how does this shake out? And which of the guys are we at? Because you can't give them all enough playing time to even find out who is a good major league hitter at this point. And so to me, that's what I'm wondering how they're going to manage this because they have to figure out who that's going to be if this offense is going to be complete. And I don't know how they're going to kind of have the time to figure all that out. I'm a little bit less concerned there because someone will either be hurt or bad Mm -hmm. and it will open up a spot for Gallo, Larnick, Kirilov, Kepler, Matt Walner, 
one of their mm -hmm. best prospects. Yep. There will be enough space for these guys to get enough run. Let's move on to this pitching staff, which holy crap does it look good on paper and is a huge reason why I'm high on the Twins. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda, and Bailey Ober as the six. None of these guys are in the top 75 players in baseball. They're all in like the top 250. No, none of these guys should suck. They will all be solid. That plus Christian Vasquez, who is in the upper echelon of experienced adult catchers who I trust to handle a competitive starting rotation. And I know that the twins really went in and they targeted Vasquez and they wanted him as their starting catcher. I am so high on this rotation, Jordan. Do you share my enthusiasm? Mostly if, if only because of what it felt like a year ago. I mean, this was even with the team, like this rotation last year, when we're looking at sure, you know, if you were buying Ryan as as a as a really strong you know breakout candidate, he was pretty good. But we're talking about Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer, right? Sonny Gray was pretty good last year, and even with that mess, with you know Smeltzer and Josh Winder and, and Ober, of course, like those are the guys that and I, and I like Ober, but like those are the guys that were making starts when they were still in first place for much of the season. And so now, if you improve the defense behind the plate and the game calling Christian Vasquez, and you actually add real talent. In Pablo Lopez, not veterans you're just banking on bounce backs for, right? Tyler Malley is a little concerning health-wise. And even Sonny Gray, like the durability there. I'm a little concerned about the durability for really Gray, Malley, and Maeda, I would say. But talent-wise, is so much better than it's been recently. And so for that, I'm totally with you. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, of our, am, I, am I really getting 28 starts out of all five of these guys? I would be kind of surprised, but... Um, no, it's, it is, it is much improved and, and I, I'm with you on that in terms of just feeling way more optimistic. We talked a little bit about Correa already. So let's hop over to our barometer bonds, which is always Byron Buxton with the twins. As long as Byron Buxton is playing 93 games a year and posting an OPS plus of 320, it will be Byron Buxton. Beyond that though, we are very interested in the return of Kenta Maeda who finished second in the AL Cy Young in 2020. This guy, albeit in a short sample, was downright blow-your-doors-off dominant in the COVID season, pitched through some injuries in 21, got TJ and missed all of 22, and now he is back. He is older than you realize. Unfortunately, he's already almost 35, but this guy has a chance to be the shutdown force atop this rotation if he can get back to health. Or at the bottom, right? I mean, that's the thing. They're not necessarily relying on it to the same degree as you might have thought when they first traded for him. But I, yeah, I just, I, I can't really shake that upside. And, and you, you know, he didn't pitch a lot in 21, clearly through injuries. And he wasn't bad, but he certainly wasn't good. So, you know, maybe we're overrating. Maybe this is uh, us uh, being a little uh, guilty of, of overrating what we saw in 2020. But I really do think he was he could be such a big difference maker. And because the fact that we're talking about him as the five is exactly why I'm much more excited about this twin season. So um, but no, it's Buxton forever. It's not even it's a, this is the first year where I'm not even excited to talk about it. You know, I'm just like. 
Yep. Okay. Like every other year in the past, I can still get excited about Byron Buxton. Now I'm so exhausted. I I love the guy. He is an incredible, like he really is one of the best players in the world. Like it is a fact, but it's just, I'm not, it's it's just not worth my energy to really expect more than a hundred games at this point. And so I'm not, I'm not going to fool myself. Byron Buxton should get to take steroids. (laughs) That's how I feel. I think he deserves an exemption. Whatever the good stuff that allowed Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens to dominate until they were 45 without getting injured, give it to Byron Buxton. I think everyone except for the other teams in the AL Central would agree. Let's find the good the good meds, give them to Buxton, keep him on the field for the betterment of the baseball world. I can think of one team that would not like that, and that's the Cleveland Guardians. But before we get to them... Over under 84 and a half. I mean, this is, this is you're, you are, sounds like you'd be smashing the over on 94 and a half. Um, we'll get to our picks at the end. Let's get to, uh, well, Cle- I just oh, want to yeah. say, I'm all in on this team. I am rolling the dice and banking on the full Byron Buxton experience in 2023. I have unbridled optimism, unencumbered faith in him staying healthy enough to put together a top three MVP finish in the American League. This is the year that it happens. The Twins win 93 games and they head to October. I'm in. I've always loved Mary Kate and Ashley. And this is the year the Twins finally pay me back. Well, remember too that they, you know, Mariners postseason drought is over. But I believe the Twins have gone the longest without winning a postseason game, I think. Um, or at least second longest. No, I think they are the longest. Um, of course, there's not one one since 2004. So uh, that is, let's just get back there first and then let's see what happens. I'm with you. Um, I think this team should absolutely be in the wild card mix, but I'm not as high on them as I am on the Cleveland Guardians. So we are about to talk about, uh, we had this conversation with the great Andre Knott, uh, the in-game reporter um, for the Cleveland Guardians. He is incredible. He has been on our pod before. You will not be disappointed in the stories that he shares in this little conversation. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Andre Knott to preview the 2023 Cleveland Guardians. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast, finishing up our American League Central Preview. I'm Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman, a resident of the center part of America. And we have another guest here who knows the Cleveland Guardians better than pretty much anybody. Ah, And that is Andre Knott. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully you can see me. There's a tree there. This is Arizona at its finest. Um, This tells you all you need to know about spring training 2023. 
Yes, that is that has been the number one talking point as far as the Cactus League goes, is that the sun is not out. But I hope you've been enjoying uh, another Cleveland spring training. Um, we wanted to have you on because you are uh, one of our one of our favorite, certainly one of our favorite in-game reporters across the game, but especially because you are clearly plugged in with the people and the personalities of this team. And the personalities of this team are such a big part of why they are the way that they are. But let's start with looking back a little bit. Uh, Andre, what the hell happened last year with the Cleveland Guardians? And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, I think you hit on it perfectly. The the personalities, anyone that's successful, there's usually some pretty good business associations that come together to make a team fit, to make a team work, right? And I think when it starts, it starts with Terry Francona, and you would get that from anybody. And you don't have to bring me on to tell you that Terry Francona is, is, is just a, a evil genius when it comes to putting teams together. He knows what's going on, and he kind of allows his players to be themselves, for better or worse. You know, Tito very early in spring training about this time last year, he kind of pulled myself and Matt Underwood, our play-by-play guy aside, and he kind of said, hey, we're going to go young. It's going to be a tough year. But I told the team and I told our guys, um, being young is not going to be an excuse. We're going to run We're going to run like our hair is on fire. We're going to make the game hard for the other team. And if they beat us, we t- tip our hat and we say, and we move on to the next game. So Tito tells him that in the, in the spring training and whatever else. And first guy up is Ahmed Rosario. And Ahmed Rosario goes, you know, he hits a single guy, hits the ball to center field, next guy up, and he burns ass from first to third. Like it's nobody's business. And Josh Naylor, who's like, you know, you kind of look, they're in the dugout and they're kind of like, you know, first spring training game. What the hell's wrong with this dude? Not in a bad way, but like word, that's how we're going to play. It's crazy to use one spring training game, the first spring training game of a spring. But that right there said that's who the Cleveland Guardians are going to be. And they are a pain in the butt. And you get the Stephen Kwans that come along. You get the Josh Naylors that come along. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm going into my 10th season doing this job. Last year was probably the most fun I ever had in a clubhouse around a team because they found their personality. And honestly, guys, it was like being around a college club. And I hope that they can continue that this year. Well, that's what's interesting about it to me, right, is like every spring training, every team comes together and they say, at least they say, really different, unique group of guys. Like we're going to band together and we're going to create this energy and we're special and whatever. And like 98% of the time, that's doesn't, no. that's not true. Like that doesn't actually mean anything. And being around Cleveland for a decent amount of time last year, you get the sense that they really did create something unique and something special. I, I want to quickly go through and, and just buzz through their winter uh, on the way out pair of catchers, Luke Maley, Austin Hedges, Owen Miller gone. Nolan Jones, former top prospect, along with Will Benson out the door. Coming in, though, Mike Zunino and Josh Bell, a pair of veterans who the Guardians hope will have a pretty immediate impact. I will uh, quickly run through their starting lineup so listeners can get a sense of who to expect. It seems pretty set. I would say there are not a lot of starting position battles that are up for grabs. Zunino will be behind the plate. Naylor and Bell will split time at first in DH, I would imagine. Andres Jimenez at second will have Ahmad Rosa- Ahmed Rosario at short. Jose Ramirez at third, as he has been since 1905. Mm-hmm. Stephen Kwan in left. Miles Straw and his big, powerful stick in center. Ah. And Oscar Gonzalez, the man who loves SpongeBob in right. On the mound, it'll be Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, Savali, and Plesak. And in the bullpen, Class A, Karen Chak, Trevor Steffen, and Nick Sandlin lead one of the best units in the game. Jordan, I'll kick it to you. For each team, we've come up with big questions. Um, and so we'll present those to you now, and then you can let us know which one kind of strikes your fancy or which one that maybe you are already also thinking about. And then you can add on some some questions of your own. All right. Does that, does that sound good? Cool. 
All right. So our first question, the kind of team that you just described, right? It was taking the extra base and running hard on the bases and like put the ball in play as much as possible. Right. Our first question is, how many players can hit more than 20 home runs on this team? <laughs> our next question, is there another level for Tristan McKenzie? What a breakout last season, but can he get even better? Our third question, how much do they trust Bo Naylor or is he about to get Frankie mejia into limbo? <laughs> and I think you know what I mean when I say that, but we can we can get to that. Where would you where would you like to begin? Let's start with the homers because the offense, I think, with the new bases, and I'm sure you guys have hit on, on all the new offensive stuff, mm-hmm. I kind of fits what the Guardians did last year. But True. they obviously do need pop. And to get Josh Bell, I love the game. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna sit here and because I cover the Guardians every day and be like, oh, it's a great brand of baseball, watching guys <laughs> steal bases and watching guys go first to third. It was cool. But there are nights when it doesn't work where you're like, damn, if you could just pop one out of the ballpark, you know, especially with how good the pitch Oh, yeah. Is. Yeah. So obviously the the team saw that. That's why you go get Zanino. Look, is Zanino going to go out and be the 2019 all-star that we saw with in Tampa? Numbers probably say probably not. But darn, if he can hit 15 to 20, I, I think Zanino gets you close to 20. Uh, I'll just go down the lineup. Matt Rosario, I shouldn't say this, but I can. And I know this won't go anywhere because you guys have only a couple listeners. But I think he's going to hit 20 this year. I've put it on a bed that I think he's Ooh. got 20 overs in him. So it's funny you ask me this. That's a huge... Listen, I love Matt Rosario. Entering free agency, he could make a ton of money uh, next and offseason. he's aware, baby. <laughs> he's aware, I'm sure. And he should be. You know, Naylor had 20. We know Jose Ramirez is going to get to 20. Bell is a pretty safe bet for 20 as, as inconsistent. But, but like a full year from Oscar Gonzalez, like... I don't know how much more they need, but to your point, there were just some games where you'd watch and you'd just be like, oh my God, can somebody hit it over an outfielder's head? (laughs) And it just wasn't happening. Even even in the playoffs. And the playoffs is when it showed up. Yeah. Playoffs is like, okay, this is how it works. But when you're going against the top two pitchers and then you're going to the top two bullpen guys, the string three hits along is tough. And we kind of found out in the playoffs when Mm -hmm. we're going 16 innings against the, you know, the Rays. So to answer your question, uh, Jimenez is a, Andres Jimenez is a star that nobody knows about. He's the next Jose Ramirez. And Hemi admitted that when he got over here and he saw Jose in batting practice for the first time, he was like, damn, I'm bigger than him. Well, hell, if he can hit 30, <laughs> why can't I? You know, like, cause you guys have seen Jose up, up close and personal. You know, like Jose, you look at him, you're like, you're really the guy that's the best third baseman. You know, like how? That's how I felt last year when I met Stephen Kwan in person. I was like, if he can hit (laughs) six, like I can get two. (laughs) If your hands are as good as his, Jake, you're hitting the wrong buttons that Monday through Friday. I know. I'm well, I'm well, well, well aware. But it's interesting to hear you draw on comparisons between kind of the new generation of Guardians players and, and the older core and that's a good transition i think to my next one of our next questions is bo naylor who is an incredibly talented young catcher unbelievable offensive year made it up with the big league club at the end of the season but there is this concern i would imagine the front office has about giving him the reins to the pitching staff at such a young age and we saw this exact dynamic play out a half a decade ago with francisco mejia where he was an incredible offensive Mm -hmm. talent who had some, we'll call them game calling and pitch framing inadequacies. The big league staff wanted to pitch to Roberto Perez and didn't want to pitch to me. Dead on. And I'm not saying that Naylor has the same issues, but like there is a dynamic there where like he's young. And if I'm a big league pitcher on a team that's competing, I want to throw to Mike Zunino and not to Bo Naylor. So 
What is the front office and coaching staff doing to ensure that Bo Naylor, for a lack of a better term, does not get Mejia'd? Mejia'd. It's a great question. And I can see from the outside why you would ask that question. Um, the best way I can answer, I'll give you a short answer because I got long answers and everything else. Bo Naylor cares about catching more than he cares about hitting. And mm. Francisco Mejia, and I, and I, I like, I like Francis. I still love Frankie. I do too. He's a great, he's a great dude, but to be a catcher for certain teams, you have to be a catcher first. And, and that's never mm-hmm. been his forte. That's why he's mm-hmm. kind of bounced around. And here's the thing that I would say to young players out there. And if Mejia gets mad at me, it's cool. He knows how to find me. He's my height too. So I, I feel like we can square off and I can hold my own for a couple of rounds. <laughs> Francisco Mejia would be a stud if he would have understood early on the importance of catching and and getting the respect, like Jake said, of his pitchers. Bo went out last year and during the pandemic and learned Spanish, so he would be able to speak to his pitchers that from a different. That, that's all I got to tell you. Bo Naylor is very different. Obviously, he has a brother that's here on this big league team. Bo Naylor understands that catching or catching is very important. His dad will kick his ass if he does not. His dad is huge. His dad in, in Detroit last year shook my hand and almost took my arm off. Um, it's a great question. I get why from the outside. It's a question. I wouldn't worry about it. They're going to start him in triple A to get him as many as the bats as he can this year. Uh, at some point in time, Bo Naylor is going to be a big time part of yeah. the Guardians team situation. And being, you know, talking to him and talking to Josh, it, they're very different. Completely. People. Because like <laughs> if you watch Cleveland baseball from the outside and you watch Josh Naylor operate, you're like, that guy cannot be a catcher. That is like, in a good way, an unhinged right. individual who like maybe should. Bo He's is a very different though. kind of guy. Can I, can I, can let's talk about Josh real quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about him because I get what you're saying. I understand that he is a very normal down to earth person, but the best comparison that I think I have is like how Max Scherzer is ah, wild on his start day. I like that. But normal the other four. Yeah. When Josh Naylor is like from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. or Stay I guess now. Nowadays with pitch clock, 9.30 p.m. Like <laughs> he is able to turn that on and like he's playing a character for that time. Is that fair? Yeah. Josh wants to be the best teammate ever. And his teammates say he already is. And all the stuff he does, like I know, like and, and I talked to him about this in the in the interview, like he was doing this stuff, like weak arm to guys all year long. If you couldn't throw a guy out against the Guardians, but most people didn't see this because we didn't show it on camera. So he was doing the weak arm to guys all year long. He was doing the rock, the baby, the El Nino. Like that became a big deal in the playoffs, but that was happening all season long. They do that crap to each other, going around third, third base and lowering their hand after they hit home runs. Like I knew what all those things meant, but it was personally inside for them. So Josh doesn't care what the rest of the country thinks. He just knows that his teammates freaking love him. And I'll give you this. My daughter and him have the same exact hair. He makes my daughter feel like a million bucks every time he sees her. Bello, who did your hair today? It looks so good. Can you help me? Can you put something through my hair? He is one of the best. When we get on the team plane, he can go up to every stewardess, knows their name, ask them how they're doing. He is one of the best gentlemen I have ever met. He's just crazy as you know what at seven (laughs) o'clock. Can you believe that the nailers from Ontario could be, or I think the second trio of brothers, as they're of a third one, Miles, yeah. who is a prospect Miles for a this year, they could be the second pair or trio of brothers, along with the Molinas, to all play in the big leagues at the same time from Isn't freaking that Canada. That is yeah. just <laughs> and Jordan, it's there. It's it's on their their bucket list. A hundred percent. They know it, and they're all about it. Also, I don't know how much you guys are in basketball. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I got Josh on this. You know the the, the guy for the uh, uh, Grizzlies, uh, Dylan Brooks, who mm-hmm. keeps fighting everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. Look up while you, whoever asked the one question, the other one do this. Look up what city he's from in Canada. <laughs> and will things start to make sense a little bit more? <laughs> Bingo! It all makes sense now. Dylan Brooks is from the same hometown as the Nailers. That's amazing. So let's skip ahead to our, our, our last little little category here. I mean, listen, we can talk about these questions all day. But the one other thing we would love to get your insight on for each team, we are asking, who is their Barry Bonds? Now, not not what you think, okay? It's Barry is short for bar, for barometer, barometer. Okay, so so what is who is their barometer Bonds? I wanted when you first started with this, I wanted to say Shane Bieber. Um, but Beebs is Beebs. So I think Beebs is so like, and that's a compliment. Beebs yeah. is so consistent. You know what you're getting, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Class A is. I mean, it's hard to say anything. Class A has been so consistent, and I think that's the beauty of how this team has come together. Mm-hmm. Like I could say a name like Trevor Stephan, and most people would go, "Huh, Trevor Stephan?" If he has a year like he did last year, is going to become one of the biggest elite middle. He's going to become a. He already is, man. Guy. I. I mean, I. Yeah. But I agree with you. Nobody really realizes that yet. But nobody I mean, knows him. Sam yeah. Hinges is another one. Mm-hmm. Those two, to me, and I hate to go bullpen, guys, because I could say Hosey, but the bullpens are important, especially with the rule changes and how things go. And I could go Karen Chick, but people know him. I'm going to go Hinges and because I, I think Sam is on, on the cusp of becoming special, too. Um, and I think those two names, if this team repeats what they did last year, you're, you came in the series last year and you knew it was a six-inning game. Now, the rest of America didn't know, but we knew. Mm-hmm. It was like if the bullpens rested and there's a two-run lead, but they were able to win games last year because even if it was tied or they were losing and you brought Hinges in in the sixth and he took you to the eighth and didn't give up anything. Um, and same with Stefan. That was a game changer. So kind of a boring answer, but that's going to be my answer other than, than the wild card is, and I got to keep saying this, is Andres Jimenez, people don't know yet. He was told when he left last year or two years ago, hey, stop messing around with your bat, with your, with your, with your, you know, what you're doing at, at bat. And just figure out one way and go with it. And Tito said, and he go, and he goes, if Hosey, find out why Hosey became Hosey. Don't try to emulate Hosey who's hitting 30 home runs. Find out who Hosey was in 2015. He, last year, he went back and watched all of Jose's at bats from 15 and realized Jose became a star by slapping the ball the other way and running like his hair was on fire. What did Andres Jimenez do last year? Slapped the ball around and ran like his head was on fire. And then suddenly the ball start going out of the ballpark and he's kissing bats and throwing them over to the Minnesota Twins. And I'll tell you this. I was at the game when Jose Ramirez, when Paul Molitor was the manager. And oh, you guys we remember this, this so well. We remember this. this. Right, we talk good, about this all the time. Good. Good. I know you. And uh, Good. But I'm going to give you a parallel of both of these guys. So in the game that Jose did it, I'll never forget afterwards the vets of the team, Corey Kluber, Jason Kipnis, Jan Gomes, uh, and there was a couple others. They took him into the weight room and they're like, hey, dude, we don't play like that. And they were like, that, you know, like you got, he goes, you got to have a reason to do that. And Hosey just did this. He goes, okay. And he walked out and I'll never forget. I walked up to Hosey. I go, what'd they say? And he goes, they told me no more. And I go, what'd you say? And he goes, don't fuck with me. <laughs> so, who's still there? So, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's still who's still there? And he's one of the you know yes. six best players so, on the planet. Fast, yeah. So fast forward to last year, Naylor hits a walk-off homer on a night where it was to, uh, opposite field, yeah. headbutts Tito. The next day we have to wake up with a day game, and Minnesota starts chirping again, and there's a walk-off by Andres Jimenez, mm-hmm. who kisses the bat, throws it over to their bench. 
Andres Jimenez is Jose Junior. Uh, my my, and he came around those bases and he knew that he had just pissed off all of Minnesota uh, and every one of those links that Prince used to sing about. Dude, for people who don't know what we're talking about, like this was a home run that Jose Ramirez hit in a blowout when he was yes. had like a 600 OPS. This was before mm-hmm. he was good. This is, I believe it was 2015. It's a, it's a classic moment. It's a classic moment. And if you want to like understand the 21st century of baseball, <laughs> it is like a top 10 important clip to mm-hmm. me because it, yes. it shows this moment where baseball culture was flipping and like how Jose Ramirez is one of the people who's kind of played a role in that. And it's just very, very interesting to go back and watch. All right, Jordan, let's wrap things up here. And just, you know, I have a feeling that our friend here is going to take the over on the over under. However, we (laughs) need to ask the question regardless. Jordan, what is the Vegas over under for the Cleveland Guardians? Do you have it in front of you? It's 86 and a half. Um, And I mean, it's easy, easy for for, for Andre over there. Uh, 86 and a half. What what are we talking about? If they're under 86, I'm going to be working with (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Now, here's the thing. So much of last season, we have to acknowledge it, right? You, You just talked about some of it, right? Catastrophic disasters from the White Sox and Twins, right? I mean, for as amazing as Cleveland was in the second half, um, and deservedly won the division. Um, it, it did help to have their two biggest uh, competitors just self-immolate um, down the stretch. I, I have a hard, again, we talked about you know the Twins and White Sox earlier. I have a hard time believing it can go that bad again for them. So I do like to think they will be pushed a little bit more. But at the same time, everything you've described is exactly why I will always take the over on this team. I am such a big fan of everything that they're about, top to bottom. And um, it is, it is uh, like you said, man. They are as, as fun to watch as it gets, and and they you are. you standing uh, at home plate for all twenty five of their walk offs only makes it better. <laughs> um, I'll take the over, but I'm gonna say this: everybody in the division is gonna be better, guys. Yeah. Um, and you're in like Chicago. I think Chicago's gonna be better just because they don't have a they don't have a weekend at Tony's as the manager. Correct. Correct. No offense to weekend at Tony's. Nap, My kids nap, boy, nap time. Nap time at Tony's. <laughs> nap time, Tony. Um, I, I think Minnesota's talented as hell, especially if they figure out how to use that back in the bullpen and, and use the guy with the nastiest pitch in all of the world oh as a closer. God. But I'm going to say the, the, and it's something that we're not talking about because of everything else going on. I don't think anybody is really discussing how the balanced schedule is going to play out mm-hmm. for a team like the guardians. You're not going to be able to beat up on Detroit 19 yeah. times. You're not going to be able to beat up on Kansas city 19 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they play better against good competition, mm-hmm. but I do think that plays into gentlemen that maybe 89, 90 is where they're at. Not 96 because of that. Yep. I think that is extremely fair. Jake, where are you at on 86 and a half? Uh, oh, sounds like an under. You don't believe. Sounds like an under. It's I, fine. Okay, Jake stop. didn't go to school so, in Northeast Ohio. Get him out of here. Get him out of <laughs> I'm going to take the over, but I'm also going to pick the Twins to win the division. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, That's where I'm at. I think the White Sox are going to just completely... Still be bad. All right. Implode. There you go. Minnesota's uniforms are sweet. What do you guys, what do you guys? Well, they look like Marlins hats, but other than that. um, Ah, (laughs) so you're not, you're, I was just telling my son I might buy one. He was like, we're not allowed. And I was like, all right. Yeah. I guess I'll go back to my Akron black tire. (laughs) All right. Andre not, uh, you are incredible at what you do. And I think anyone that listened to this is well aware of that. So thank you for the time. We look forward to seeing you on some television channel very soon. (laughs) Hey man, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I love what you guys do. Um, I love that when I, I come on your guys' podcast, I get the most random tweets, texts from buddies I haven't seen since college or high school, which means 
you guys are doing the right thing. Like I go on your podcast and I know there are going to be players in the, in the clubhouse that are going to come up to me and be like, dude, that kicked ass. That was cool that you went on with those guys. There you go. Wow. And first, humbled. first and foremost, incredible note to end on. I can't wait to find out if Francisco Mejia is listening. Andre Knott, <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> for the time. We will have Look you on again. See what t- Look at the schedule. See what t- <laughs> we will have you on again uh, very soon. Thank you, my friend. Take care, boys. What a lovely pod. Thank you to Andre Knott for coming on. I assume you are picking the Guardians to win yes. this division. I am, but I, I really think the Twins are going to be right there in the wild card mix. I don't know if I could. I, I I haven't like again since we've been separating the divisions. I haven't like looked at it all together quite yet. Um, but I I feel like I would I feel pretty good about them in that mix at the end there. But Cleveland faux show. Uh, Jake Mintz, we have merch now. Yeah. That is something we announced on the last episode. You can find it podswag.com slash baseball. All of that uh, information will be in the description and you can find it on our Twitter. Jake put together a wonderful highlight reel showing off some of our, our favorites. Um, showing off some of our favorites and my left nipple. <laughs> so if you want to check that out, you can find that on our Twitter. Uh, we, we're excited about that. More fun stuff to announce soon, so stay tuned for that. Sounds like we are going to be doing the American League West, actually, uh, first on Monday. That'll be our next uh, division preview. We will be doing the National League West last next Wednesday before opening day. We're also hoping to do a big, uh, more bigger picture season preview pod that will drop on opening day. But stay tuned for all that. Thank you all for supporting and listening. Buy some merch. Uh, let us know what you like. Um, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this. Thank you to Andre now for joining us. And we will talk to you on Monday. Twins! Serious XM Podcasts.